make it. Who enjoyed the long weekend? That was so average. I hope you enjoyed the long weekend. I hope you had a, a, a great time uh, uh, with your family. And uh, I'm, I'm going to sort of just jump straight into the, the message today. Jesus, prayer and miracles. Thought that was pretty good to talk about since we're in church. So let's talk about that today. But before I do that, let me tell you this. So on Monday this week, we decided that we would take our kids to the zoo. And very exciting news, not for you, but for us, we became members of the zoo. We are zoo members. And you pay a fee. It's not a big fee. It's like 75 bucks or something for Sarah and I each, whatever. But here's the good part. You get to go to the zoo every single day free for a whole year. And you can use all the zoos across Australia. And we thought that is a great idea. And best of all, kids are free. Whenever kids are free in anything, I'm interested. So the kids are free. Just pay for Sarah and I. It's like 140 bucks for the whole year. We get to keep going to the zoo. So, oh, and, and the other thing with the other, we took our kids and we took Grant. So <laughs> I wanted to say that. We took Grant. So, so we all jump in, our, in the car and we're on our way in and, and, uh, and I love the zoo and we got to, um, you know, walk around and, and uh, look at all the animals, but we went to the reptile in- enclosure, okay? And I, it's one of the highlights at the zoo for me. I love the reptile enclosure. I love going, if it's hot outside, we can cool off. If it's rainy outside, we can get dry. So I just like going in there, but I like walking around and, and seeing all the different snakes and lizards and things, and my kids love that stuff. So, so they started to do that too. Well, we came across this lizard. I want to tell you about this lizard today. It's called the basilisk lizard. don't know if you've heard of it. Has anybody heard of the basilisk lizard? Okay, this lizard is also known as the Jesus Christ lizard. And when you look at the plaque, it says... Jesus Christ lizard on the plaque. And the reason that this is called the basilisk lizard is called the Jesus Christ lizard is because this lizard can run across water. And, and so we, got, we thought that was pretty cool. And I think it was Judah's idea because we, we didn't get to see it run across the water. So he said, well, why don't we put it in with the crocodile and then we can see it <laughs> run across the water. I think, I don't know if that was Judah's idea or Sarah's, but zookeeper didn't think that was a great idea so we didn't get to see it but we went home and we and we youtubed it and this thing just runs across water looks pretty cool so I'm at I'm at my son's uh, Isaac well I'm at his swimming lesson on Friday just gone and I'm sitting there and I'm watching him swim and I'm encouraging him he's doing a great job and I started to think about the basilisk lizard and I thought do you know what would be really cool right now? Would be if I was to just walk out on the water. And I thought that would be amazing. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm encouraging. So on the surface, I'm, I'm fully there engaging as a father. Mentally, I'm thinking that would be amazing. I would love to walk out. And I was just sort of picturing what people's faces would be like if I just walked out on the water. I was imagining it. Now, I didn't do it because I didn't have the faith for it. But I thought, wouldn't that be great if I was able to do it? I started to think about that story about how Jesus walks on the water. This is the most ama- one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. I was thinking about the fact that Jesus walks on water. And I thought, oh, I don't even know why he did it. 
And the Bible, the Bible tells the story, and you know the story, you know, he gets Peter to get out of the boat and so forth. And, but I don't know why he did it. I started thinking, Jesus, why did you just go for a walk on the water? And, and, and the Bible never mentions it again. If I wrote the Gospels, I would be reflecting back and remember the time when he walked on the water. I would refer to that constantly. Bible never does that. The Bible simply moves on, but I didn't. I didn't move on. I kept thinking about the fact that Jesus was able to walk on the water because I thought that was a pretty amazing miracle. And, uh, and because he was able to do uh, so many of these miracles, I started to think about what Jesus did. I started to think about why he did it. And uh, I've been reading the book of Luke recently. And, and if you open the book of Luke and you read even the first 10 chapters, it is full of miracles about things that Jesus did. I want to talk to you about Jesus and prayer and miracles today. And I want you to notice everything that I'm about to speak to you about today. Jesus did this. This is what I want you to notice from the outset is that Jesus did everything we're about to look at. He did this as a man. And that is very important for you to understand. Listen to what the Bible says. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, this is what it says. It says that uh, though he was, in the form, uh, he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of men. Jesus looked like us. He was fully God and fully man at the same time, but it says that he emptied himself. And although that he was God, he emptied himself. He, he, he ceased to operate as God while he didn't cease to actually be God. So he operated as a man. I love what Esther shared in communion today because she said it so well. And uh, I want to show you this. This is an excerpt from the Nicene Creed. Has everybody heard of that? So early, the church fathers, they got together and they wrote this creed. And this is what they all agree to. And this is what it says. It says, and in one Lord, this is just an excerpt. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. That is pretty remarkable. It's saying that Jesus was fully God at the same time that he was on the earth, and yet he ceased to operate as God. Now, when you begin to read the stories about Jesus and what he did, I don't want you to think that he was able to do these things because he was God. Because part of the reason why Jesus came, he emptied himself and then he came so he could actually teach us some things and show us some things. In fact, if you read the Word of God, it says that Jesus was our forerunner. It says it in Hebrews, he was our forerunner. He did some things before us, but I think in many ways, Jesus went before us so he could say, guys, this is the way. And I think that what Jesus is wanting to do is he's calling his church forth. He's saying, this is the way. Do you see what I did? I didn't do that as God. I did it as man. Now you come after me. When Jesus lived on the earth, this is exactly what he taught his disciples. And for thousands of years, maybe even up to that day, but for thousands of years, the world message has been that God doesn't want to help and actually that God is not able that is the message that the world has tried to promote over and over again. 
And even I think if you were to be honest, there are some Christian circles that would fight for that and say, oh no, he is able to do all things. And yet when it comes to our own individual lives and when it comes to our personal circumstances, whatever it may be, a diagnosis here or a situation there, suddenly the faith to believe that God can do all things is something that we find deeply and profoundly challenging because the message of the world is continuing to speak to us about what Jesus is able to do. I started to think, if I really want to learn about what God would do in a situation, uh, about what Jesus would do in a situation, I just thought, hey, why don't I just read the Bible and the Bible can tell me what Jesus actually did. And since Jesus happens to be God at the same time, I think I'm going to get an insight from the Son as to the heart of the Father. Now, Jesus said, I only did what I saw my Father doing. Does everybody agree with that? So do you agree with me that when we look at what Jesus did, this is the heart of the Father in operation? Now, what I want you to do for a moment is to take your personal experience, park that for a moment, and set your minds to learn right now. You are about to learn what Jesus did and what the Father wants to do. And if He wanted to do it back then, He says, I am the Lord God, I do not change. I submit to you this morning that what He did is what He still wants to do. Is that okay? Everyone agree? All right. I want to show you four scriptures This is going to go for just a couple minutes. Bear with me. All right. Jesus heals many. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. Now, we're going to keep reading, but I want you to notice a couple things as we go through these. When he rebuked the fever, it doesn't say that he began with, Heavenly Father, who was the creator of heaven and earth and all things, Lord of the universe, I remember when you created Adam. You are Lord over everything. You parted the ocean. I remember what you did with the Israelites. I remember what you did with Jericho. You did all these things. If you, God, were able to do all those things, this thing will be no... He doesn't say anything. Nothing like that. He doesn't pump up God's ego. Guess what? God doesn't need us to pump him up. What he does... He doesn't even really address the father. He talks to the fever and he says, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and she began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Every single person that gets brought before Jesus gets healed. Every single one. Jesus did not disappear because he was tired. He did not leave because he had somewhere to be. The Bible says that he laid his hands on all the people that were brought to him and he heals every single one of them. And also lots of demons came out crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them because he would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ, didn't want them to tell everyone about it. So that's that. Let's look at the next one. Jesus cleanses a leper. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That is great faith in that moment right there from that leper. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. 
Lepers were people that you would never touch. Lepers were people that were ostracized, who were kept you know, at bay. No one would touch a leper, yet Jesus touches him and says, I will be clean. Now that is the fullest extent of Jesus's prayer. I will be clean. Again, you'll notice that he doesn't open with what God is able to do. He doesn't pump up his tires. He doesn't speak about the universe or the parting of the Red Sea or Jericho. None of that. He just says, I will be clean. Pretty simple. He doesn't even address the Father. He speaks straight to the situation. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place to pray. Jesus would heal people and then he would withdraw at some point and go to a desolate place to pray. Let's keep going. Jesus heals a paralytic. On one of those days he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let down his bed through the tiles, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered. He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, Rise up. Or rise and walk. Now, the answer to the question that Jesus asked is both are impossible. Both are impossible. Neither one is easier. If it not for the power of God, it's 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 impossible to forgive sins, it's impossible to rise up and work. So both are impossible. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, and again, this is the full extent of of Jesus's prayer. Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen an extraordinary thing today. On a Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he, uh, looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. Again, this is his prayer. Stretch out your hand. That's, that's everything that he says. He says, stretch out your hand. He doesn't even pray. He simply says, just do this. Nothing else. And he did so and his hand was restored 
But they were filled with fury. I guess you can't win them all, can you? I mean, he just healed the guy. And they are filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here's the summary. He rebuked the fever at left. He said, I will be clean. Rise, pick up your bed and go home. Stretch out your hand. I want you to notice a few things, how effortless it was for him to do this. How effortless, how easy it was for Jesus to do this. Now remember, Jesus did not do this as God. He did this as a man. He didn't cease to be God, but he operated as a man. I want you to know how effortless it was. He healed everyone that came to him. If you're ever wondering, you know, will God heal some people? He healed everyone that came to him and he never really seems to pray. Or maybe he did. He never really seems to pray though, does he? He just seems to say things. But I want you to know that in chapters 4 and chapters 5 of Luke, he frequently goes to a desolate place to pray. Desolate meaning solitary, meaning that he was alone, meaning that there wasn't, he wasn't surrounded by people. And Jesus, because he didn't have a copy of the Bible, he would just go by himself and he would spend time in prayer. He would spend time meeting with his father. He would spend time understanding some truth and, and, and getting his mind in what God was able to do. He lived out publicly what was accomplished in isolation. Because he, what he accomplished while he was on his own with his father, he suddenly brought forth into a situation. Now, how many people do you know that cultivate a pretty serious prayer life in the midst of tragedy? How many people wait until something goes wrong and then they reflect on their past and they go, we better start praying. This is not the model that Jesus gives us. Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer and he gained power in that lifestyle of prayer, renewing his mind and what God was able to do. So when a tragic situation began to spring up, he would look at that instantly and there was no need to build God up in that moment. God had been built up plenty and, and spoken to plenty in a place of isolation so that when it came time for Jesus to address what was going on, he would say something as simple as stretch out your hand. Again, he did it as a man. He didn't do it as God. He is our forerunner. He's taking us somewhere. He's leading us somewhere. And in that moment, he would say, stretch out your hand. Do you know that when Jesus was alone and isolated and spending that time with God, no iPad, no Bible, no music, none of that. He didn't have to have all the bells and whistles. He simply got before his father and spent time. It was quiet. We hate quiet almost today. There needs to be some atmosphere. There needs to be some noise. Can we just put on some worship music to increase the presence of the Spirit? Jesus didn't have that problem. Jesus would just go into a desolate place and say, Father, and the presence of God was there in that moment. And he would cultivate two key ideas. I submit to you two key ideas. The first one is that God was his father. The second was like the first is that he was his father's son. And he cultivated these two ideas in isolation. So that when it came time for him to operate as a son, he didn't have to go through the rigmarole of reminding God everything. that God, Trust me, we never need to remind God what he's done. He knows what he's done. 
He was there. In the most bizarre way, he kind of still is. There's no time. He can go back, forwards. He's everywhere all at once. Jesus would cultivate these ideas so that when he'd pray, he'd praise his son and he spent time with God, renewing his mind in God's power. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Because that was my question. I want to know why Jesus walked on the water. I think he did it for a couple of reasons. But how about this for an idea? One, to show that he was superior as our forerunner to every other human that previously existed. Now, there's a pretty cool story in the Bible. Moses leads Israel through the Red Sea. The ocean parts. They walk through on dry land. It's pretty cool, right? What could be cooler than parting the ocean and walking through on the earth? How about I'm just going to walk on the water? I'm the, you don't even need to part it. That's how I roll. That's how, I, that's how Jesus does things. That's how I do it. Part the ocean, not my thing. I like to walk on water. So he just stepped out and started walking. I, I, I think he did it to show in some ways that he was superior. I think he did it in some ways to show that he had control over the natural elements that are in this world. I think he did it to teach us something that we need to know, which is that God is able And from everything we've just learned about what Jesus did in his time, and if you look at his character and remember that Jesus healed everyone that came to him and he only did what the Father was doing, I think one of the things we learn is that he actually wants to help people. Now, there is a quote that you would be familiar with. It's Jesus, uh, sorry, God helps those who help themselves. Has everybody heard that? Put up your hand if you've heard that before. God helps those who help themselves. So, I was thinking about this a while ago and I decided to ask somebody, a few people, hey, where is that in the Bible? And I watched them flick through their mind and think about where that came from. And the truth is that that is not in the Bible. That is not Scripture. But isn't it interesting that out of the mouths of Christian people, so many times they can utter something like, God helps those who help themselves. That is not a biblical idea. That's not even about our God. That was about the ancient Greek gods, that the ancient Greek gods would help the people that help themselves. Can I tell you something about our God? He only helps those who can't help themselves. In fact, any moment that someone feels like they can do it on their own, he stands back and says, well, be my guest. But if you are a person who's humble enough in your life to admit that you can't nail this thing on your own, that in fact you need some help, then when you get before your father and you say, I actually need help, you are the very person that God looks for to help. And the reason it's so important that we understand that not only is God able, but the fact that He wants to help us is because the world would continue to the best of its ability to wash your minds in the fact that Jesus does not want to help, that God doesn't want to help. He wants to wash your mind in the opposite. He wants to do that. The enemy of your soul wants to wash your mind in the opposite. That's the message of the world. And to be honest, I can understand how it happens. How many of you have prayed for people? And even as I say this, I understand even this week, there are people in this room and this message will be speaking straight into their context. And I understand that. But this is the message that God had already put on my heart. So that's why we're going here today. But here's the thing. Every failed attempt at prayer will try convince you that God is not able. Every time you pray and something doesn't happen, 
the thing that you asked for, it didn't work. It will be an opportunity right then for the world to try to convince you that God is not able. And here is something far worse. Maybe God doesn't care. I want you to know that you are not alone in that. There have been times when you have prayed for people and you have asked God to heal them and it probably didn't work. Am I the only one that's experienced that? Or just raise your hand if you've experienced, uh, if you've prayed for someone and it hasn't worked. So everyone with their hands down, every time you pray, it works. Well, you can join our prayer team and we will see you after the service today. Okay, but my own personal experience is that I have prayed for people and they have not been healed. And what do I learn in that moment? I think that our brains are set to learn. I think that we learn things through experience. And even though we don't necessarily want to, we don't form any specific thoughts about it, every time you've prayed for someone and you've had that experience where that person hasn't been healed, there is something in your brain that switches on to learn and it tries to learn something out of that moment. Can I tell you that the disciples were exactly the same as us? Jesus was leading them and Jesus is still leading us. I want to look at a scripture. This is out of Mark. And here's a story. So there's a father, his boy's you know, sick and, and demon possessed. And Jesus comes to, to heal him. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said to him from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. Why don't you take that sentence right now and write that in the front of your Bible? Maybe underline it or highlight it. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. Okay, so they've, this gives us an insight. They asked him privately. They didn't want to ask him in front of everyone else. Maybe they were embarrassed, but they asked him privately. They said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And yet when you reflect on the moment, Jesus doesn't seem to pray at all. He just speaks to the situation. You know why? Because he often disappeared to the desolate place and what he accomplished in isolation, he brought the power of that with him so that when he entered into a situation where there was turmoil or grief, for something that needed to change immediately. He brought that power with him. It was accomplished there and only seen over here. That's how he was able to do it. You'll notice that Jesus, here is something he doesn't say. Well, you must understand I'm God. You must understand you'll never be able to do this. I'm God. He never says that. In fact, when the Great Commission happened, he said greater things than these shall you do? 
So he didn't rest on the fact that he was God to accomplish this. He said, I'm the forerunner. I'm going ahead of you. I'm taking you somewhere. I am teaching the disciples. I'm going to teach you how to do what I've done. And then your job is to teach everyone else to do what I taught you. This is what Jesus was teaching. This is what he was speaking to them. I want to tell you something that's so important. If you have a pen, write this down. This will be very handy for you to remember. If you let failure become a system of belief, you will never prevail over your past. If you let failure become part of your system of belief, you'll never prevail over your past. Do you know why? Because your previous failed attempt becomes the lid for your future. If you create a system of belief, you pray, it doesn't work. You say, that's what God wanted. That's how he does it. God doesn't heal. Bang. You've just set for all time, that's your lid. You've just said in that moment, and let, you have not been able to take your mind beyond that. You will probably, the next time you go to pray for someone, think to yourself, but God doesn't really do this. I know that we say it in church a lot. I know that it's unspoken, but God is not likely to heal in this moment. He's not likely to do something. And that's why I started going back to the Word. And I said, well, if Jesus only did what He saw the Father doing, then I want to see what Jesus did. And Jesus healed everyone that came to Him. Now, it is a mystery to me why some people get healed and some people don't. And that is a fact of life. I'm just saying that I don't think it's what we're supposed to settle for. I'm saying that, yes, I too agree. I have had prayers and I've prayed and they, people have not been healed. But can I tell you something right now? I am going somewhere and I'm not going to let the failed prayers of the past where things have not worked out for me. I will not let that be the lid for my future. I will not let my faith be determined by what has happened historically. Because the moment I make that decision, I've got nothing more to learn. I've capped my own learning. I've capped my own growth. I've said, you know what? This is the way God operates. I'm not moving from this spot. And you know what? That's not the life that God has called us to. That's not what God wants us to be. If I look at the model set by Jesus, He modeled something far greater than my failed attempts. So I'm going, I'm just letting you know I'm going after it. I'm just letting you know that I'm not prepared to settle for it. I understand, like you, that sometimes things don't happen. I don't get it either. But you know what? I'm not prepared to accept that healing doesn't happen. And once I've witnessed it happen, I'm not willing to go back. And I myself have seen miracles and I've seen incredible things. And recently in my own life, there has been a breaking out of God doing miracles as I've began to pray. Well, I'm not going back to that. I'm just not prepared to go back. I'm going to start to move forwards. Now, I believe, to be honest, that God is calling our church forwards into this. That God is calling great things out of us. Every time your hope is dashed, every time your hope is dashed and you don't get what you want, I think this is the opportune time that Luke chapter 4 talks about. Let me explain that to you. In the Bible, Jesus is tempted by Satan. You would have heard that? Okay goes in three times he's tempted and at the very end when he's been tempted and he's been tempted in every way at the very end of that it says that satan left until an opportune time i think satan looks for opportune times to come back to dash your faith 
And here, that failed attempt at prayer, that is an opportune time for him to come to you. When you're feeling low, that is an opportune time. When you're not seeing what you've asked for, that is an opportune time. He looks for the opportune time to come and destroy your faith. Do you know, I heard this quote from T.D. Jakes. This isn't perfect because I heard it a long time ago, but he said something like this. Satan is not bigger than God. So he can't do anything about God. He can't move him and he can't hide him. So the only thing that he can do is cause you to look the other way. And every time you pray and something doesn't get answered and Satan says, jumps in on that opportune time and says, you see, it doesn't work. You see, he doesn't care. He's causing you. Look at me. Look at me. Listen to me. Don't listen to God. Don't renew your mind in Scripture. You know, the whole reason why we're supposed to renew our mind in Scripture is to renew our minds in what's truth. This is what the Bible says. It says, do not be conformed to this world. That's the, remember the message of the world. Don't be conformed to that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we say discern, we're talking about test, examine. The word can also mean prove. We're supposed to prove the will of God in that moment. How much does that transform what you think about what you read? How many people are in the world saying this is the way it is? What if our job was really to prove God's will? What if our job really was to discern what He was doing and then act on truth? One of the reasons you need to discern the difference between truth and lie is because Satan will always lie to you. He is the father of lies. He was lying from the beginning. He hasn't given up and he will come to you at the lowest point of your life and try to steal from you the picture of who God really is. With every opportunity that he gets. And here are two lies that he tell you. I mean, he's got a whole warehouse full of them, but here are two that he'll try to tell you. Number one, we've already spoken about it. God is not able. But do you know, I think that he tells that lie to cover an even greater truth, which is that God has enabled you. Think about it. If you're still busy wondering if God is able you will never even imagine that He enabled you. If you're so busy trying to figure out, can God really do this? What is He really like? You'll be so consumed with that thought that it actually completely masks an even superior truth, which is that God will enable you. That God has given you authority. That God is distributing His authority on the th- on, th- through the earth, through your hands, through your feet. And He'll tell you every lie to mask that truth. You know what? The world does not need more diagnosis. We've got plenty of people that can point out the problem. What we need is people who are able to change it. What we need is people who are able to discern what to change and then change it. So let me say this in closing. What are you going to change? What do you change? How do you even know what to change? Well, here's my answer. You might have a better one, but this is my answer. Change the demonic, leave the rest. Change the demonic, leave the rest. God gave us power over Satan. God gave us authority over him. So we are already over him in that way, but he never gave us authority over himself. So there are some things that you can change And there are some things that you can't change. Let me illustrate this point 
from a couple of stories from the Bible. There are, there are multiple storms in the Bible. Here's two. The first one, Jonah, called by God to go to the city of, city of Nineveh to preach the Word of God so that the whole city can be saved. You know what he does in that moment? He goes the opposite way. He tries to go as far as he can from that. A great storm arises. And what happens? They can't fight it. They can't stop it. So what happens? Jonah says, throw me over the boat. It's the only way to stop the storm. Throw him over the boat. Sea monster comes, takes him into his stomach. Three days later, spits him up on the beach, goes to Nineveh, preaches, and then he's grumpy about it. That's Jonah, okay? First storm. Second storm. Disciples are in the boat. There's water filling in. They're trying to bail it out. There's nothing they can do. They think they're going to drown. They think they're going to die. They think that the whole thing's done. They go down into the bow of the boat and they get Jesus and they say, Jesus, you've got to get up here. There is something going on. Jesus comes, stands up, looks at the storm. He rebukes the storm and it ceases. A storm that arose from God will never be defeated. But when storms arise in that moment, I really believe that what Jesus discerned is that it was demonic opposition that was causing those things to happen. That opens up a whole can of worms. Let's not go there. But let's just say this. There's a reason why Jesus rebuked the storm. There's a reason why He looked at the storm and He said, No, I rebuke you. And the, and the storm ceased. You see, there are some things that you change. There are some things that you can't. You're not going to be able to change what God does but you can overcome evil with good. You can overcome. God has given you authority to be able to do that. Do you know why I think that in our world today, there is so much mystery about the storms that come to our front door? Who sent this? How did this get here? What am I supposed to do in this moment? But can I tell you something that I think is so true? And I want you to really lean in and listen to this. If you're wondering who sent the storm, there is not one example where Jesus ever gave someone sickness to teach them a lesson. So He will never send sickness. If sickness comes to your door, that is never sent by God for you, ever, in any circumstance. So if you're trying to discern the origin, oh God, what's your will in this moment? You've got to know right then, right there, that God never sent that. So you've got to start to do something about it and pray and seek God. I would be prepared to give my life for the cause of Christ, but I will never give my life for the cause of Satan. And when I just accept the things that He brings on me, I'm giving my life for His cause. I'm not prepared to deal with that. I, every time God asks me to make a sacrifice, it's always worth it. Anytime the devil tries to lay me down to sacrifice me, it's never worth it. Never. So what is my job? What am I going to change? How do I know what to pray for? Where do I understand God's will? I understand it by looking at what Jesus did. Now, how do I apply it? I discern, renew my mind in truth, discern what is truth. Then I know what to pray for. And as soon as I know what to pray for, I stand in the authority that Christ has given me and begin to speak to that situation. I cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. So in a moment when I need it, I can look at the situation and say, stretch out your hand. I have to pump up God's tires. None of that. I simply look at the situation and I speak on God's behalf. So here's what you need to do. You lead a lifestyle of prayer and constantly renew your mind so you know what to pray for. So you know how to discern truth and error. You know, the truth is the world, this world, it doesn't need more diagnosis. There are plenty of people that can point out the problem. But what it does need is it needs people like you and me who know that they are their father's son and know that we've been given some things through Christ and begin to operate in the world to change it, to take back the demonic, to turn back the clocks. 
You know what we say? We say, your kingdom come. This is how it happens. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I feel like more now more than ever, I'm even clearer on what God's will is for me, for you, for church, for life in general. And I'm not willing to let any previous experience dictate to me the lid of my faith. Can we stand this morning?